Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 287 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So glad that you are here with me today on this little or long, I don't know how long it's going to be, might not be so little, bonus mini episode of uh, questions that are asked by my Patreon subscribers. Um, I will always say this, patreon.com slash Rachel is where you can check it out. And for the low, low price of $5 a month, I can be your mini coach. Whatever you ask, I will answer. Um, I think that's a cool deal. And there are a bunch of you pledging at that level who don't ask me questions. So it is an underutilized feature of me. Uh, if you are interested in doing this, go to patreon.com slash Rachel. Um, and if you are already a patron at $5 or up, if you got a question, lying in bed in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., Googling, trying to find the right answer. Why don't you ask me? And I'll give you what I think my right answer is. Of course, I am human and fallible and I do my best. Uh, But you're listening to the show, so you trust me somewhat. And I really appreciate and um, I'm so grateful for that trust. So let's get into some of these amazing questions that I have. I think I have four today. Uh, Okay, the first one comes from Sarah M. Hello, Sarah. Uh, She says, hi, Rachel. I've got a question I'm hoping you can answer on an upcoming episode. Do you have any favorite books on the craft of writing personal essay or any of your favorite other favorite resources outside of your own fabulous fast drafting memoir book? Of course, thank you. I just read Ann Patchett's new book of essays and I loved it so much. All I want to do is draft essays. Just wondering if any particular books or resources have been helpful to you in this regard. A lot of how to write essays resources are directed toward writing essays for a college class. Not what I'm looking for. Um, Yes, it's. I have not found in memory, I was searching my memory banks and also um, my Kindle and my shelves. I have not found a great resource on how to write the personal essay. It's got to exist and perhaps it slipped out of my mind. So if anybody else um, thinks of this, shoot me an email and I will update this uh, or go over to the show notes and add a comment. I really, really like... Um, Mary Carr's The Art of, oh God, what is it called? The Art of Memoir. And Marion Roach Smith's book on um, writing memoir as well. And I know we're talking about essays and (laughs) I have forgotten that uh, book title too. Marion Roach Smith's excellent book is called The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life. Um, The reason I am mentioning that one in particular is that Marion has her own podcast. I think it's called QWERTY. I've listened to it a couple of times. It's great. And she talks to and coaches a lot of writers in writing essay. Like um, She helps people write the essays that get in modern love, which is of course, bucket list for many of us essay writers. I know it is for me. It's the New York Times love column. Um, And it's intensely hard to get into. So she does a lot of work with that. So even though her book is about memoir as a form, uh, you're going to take away a lot of great things from that book, I think. But for me, the thing that has helped me most in essays, uh, which I have been studying now for probably 
eight years seriously um, is I just read more and more essays. And I'm just going to throw some titles at you that you may want to pick up. Uh, I love Sarah Manguso's Ongoingness. It's a very, very, very short book full of incredibly short essays about um, kind of a meta look into journaling um, and the creation of ourselves through writing. Absolutely gorgeous. Uh, it's it's kind of experimental. So take, take that for what it is. It's, it's so fine. Uh, Jamie Attenberg's recent book, I Came All This Way to Meet You, is a great example of personal essay, narrative nonfiction, um, in the form of a themed collection. And she's talking about writing. She's talking about her writing career. And I plowed through it. Uh, I had that pleasantly jealous feeling in the pit of my stomach, and I don't suffer from jealousy often. If almost, and when I do, I almost enjoy it. So when I'm feeling jealous of a writer, it's because, oh, they're so good. And I, I really loved reading that, Jamie Attenberg. Um, how to write an autobiographic. I wrote autobiographic novel, but I think it's how to write an autobiographical novel by Alexander Chi. Uh, another great, great collection. There are so many wonderfully uh, put together collections of essays out there. Steep yourself in them. And one thing I try to do once a year is I buy the Best American Essays collection. Uh, every year the book comes out, every year it is edited by someone different. And this year, 2021, it was edited by Katherine Schultz. It usually takes me the whole year to kind of work my way through it. But what I do, and this is why I'm telling you this, is after I read, and you know, I read essays, I take them in, I enjoy them, fantastic. But when I read an essay that rocks me back on my heels, that makes me feel confused, um, that makes me feel passionate, that makes me really feel that tug of jealousy in my belly. I sit down and I do a little bit of journaling about how it worked. I look at the structure. I look into the paragraphs. Um, when does the writer display the thesis of this essay? Do they ever? Is it just implicit? Uh, how much is how much is um, explication and how much is actually detail, sensory detail uh, in the moment of a particular scene with all the details that go along with that? And how much of, you know, how much is just thinking, taking it apart, seeing what they do. There's no right answer to these questions, but I think the more deeply we think about, and this applies to everybody, the more deeply we think about the craft in which we're working, and the more willing we are to go into what we love and ask questions that are almost impossible to answer about how did it work, but then using your critical thinking skills to, to try to come up with a few answers to that is the best way we learn how to write essay or anything that we're writing. Uh, so thank you for this beautiful question. And I hope that it helps. And I hope that you have fun writing them. Oh, it's my, you know, it's my favorite genre is uh, narrative nonfiction. Okay. This next question comes from Tuomas. Hello, Tuomas. Um, I don't think I answered this on air. I may have answered it quickly in an email to you, which makes me feel like I answered it. So, uh, but I don't think I have. Number one, what is the protocol for approaching established writers for an endorsement? For example, the memoir Dharma Punks has many of the same themes as my memoir, and I'd imagine that his readers would enjoy my book as well. But I'm sure famous writers get spam spammed with all kinds of BS requests and people whining for favors, and I don't want to be one of them. So is there a legitimate way for nobody like myself to approach some established authors whose books are comparable to mine and ask for an endorsement? Love this question. Who wrote Dharma Punks? It was no, Brad, not Brad, Noah, Noah Levine. I love that book. And uh, knowing something of your work, I think he is a perfect comp for you. He is perhaps the best comp for you. 
And I'm going to be real honest with you all, like I always am. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. Don't tell anybody else I said this, okay? Because it's going to make me look bad. Uh, I'm, I'm actually serious about this. I mentioned it before, but uh, let's mention it again. So especially for an indie published writer, it's unnerving to try to get those blurbs. And believe me, it is hard to get the blurbs when you are a trad published writer, especially when you're beginning. Your editor will usually send your book to other writers on her list and say, here's a comp that's like yours. Do you have time to read this and give me a blurb? The word blurb is used for so many different things in writing, but in this particular instance, I am using it to mean the quote, another well-known writer gives your book to add credibility to it. You can put it on the cover. You can put it on the back. You can put it on the reviews, on the um, sales pages online. Um, so trad pubs will help you with that to a limited degree, but they will always say, you know, we need you to go out and ask authors to blurb you as well. And that's really what they're relying on. Uh, I will say that from my last two books, my editor probably approached 15 people and I approached 10 people and we got a total of four uh, blurbs for those two books combined. But I got to say, they were like Iris Johansson and Lisa Scottolini, who is amazing. And she was on a show recently. She's so good. Um, so I got good names. Nobody I asked came through. Most of the people my editor asked didn't uh, came through. Uh, most of them did not come through. So just know that asking these, asking authors for blurbs is always fine. Expecting them to blurb you, and I know, I know, Tuomas, you do not um, expect. Uh, just lost his name again. Lo Noah to respond to you and blurb your book. That said, fortune favors the bold, right? We are writers, and we are stubborn, and we do things uh, that scare us, and we do things perhaps not the best way. But look, okay. So the very first blurb, I'll tell this story. I haven't told it in a while. My very first blurb came from Susan Wiggs. Susan Wiggs is a women's fiction superhero. She's huge, sells millions and millions and millions of her beautiful books. And How to Knit a Love Song was going to come out, oh, I think in two months, which is basically you know, past the last moment in traditional publishing. And I had gotten almost zero blurbs for it through my publisher. So I was starting to do the panic to reach out. I did not know Susan Wiggs from Adam. She definitely did not know me. I just knew who she was. I hadn't even read one of her books. Uh, I fixed that. I read one of her books. And then I wrote her this letter that said, this is so pathetic, um, that said, dear Susan, my first book is coming out in two months. I have no blurbs. Oh my gosh. It's all filtering back to me now. I had had a dream that she had <laughs> so stupid. I'd had a dream that she'd written me a great blurb. And I put that in the email. I said, I dreamed that you wrote me a great blurb and it, it made me so happy and so grateful. And I just thought I would ask if you would read my book. And she wrote back, I'd love to. And I sent her the book and she read it and she gave me the most beautiful blurb, one of the most beautiful blurbs I've ever had. My publicity team was over the moon. That blurb stayed on my book because it was kind of generic to Rachel Heron writing, not just to that book. It stayed on three or four books. I still drag it out sometimes because Susan Wig, the Susan Wig, was commenting on my writing, and that was so generous of her. So we ask, even if we're pretty sure we won't hear back or we'll get a no in response, we ask. Here's the thing I'm nervous to tell you about. Uh, and do not quote me on this. 
Don't say you heard it from me. It's not the way we do things, but this is, this has had success for me in the past. I write an email. Usually authors emails are available on their website. Uh, if not, they all have a contact form and that basically acts like an email. It goes straight into their inbox. If they're very, very big names, they will not have any of that. And they will uh, direct you to their publicity team. And in which case I would probably give up because publicity team is probably not going to forward them a blurb request. That said, um, I found this particular writer's uh, uh, email on her site and I absolutely worship worshiped and worship her. Um, and I sent her, uh, I don't even know. I don't know why I'm not telling you her name, but I'm not, I'm not. And I'm going to honor that feeling. And I wrote her an email. I had been a fan of hers for 15 years. She was one of my favorite women's fiction writers and what was coming out. I think it was pack up the moon was coming out. And I wrote her this out of the blue, out of the cold, never met her email that said, I worship the ground you walk on, you write the way I wish I could write. All of this was true. It has to be true. Uh, I've written a book that I wish, I dream could sound something half as good as your books. Uh, and I would love a blurb from you. And because I know this is a big, because by this time I had seven or eight books out, I said, I know this is a big ask and I know this isn't done. However, I'm going to attach to this email the first three chapters of the book. Or did I attach the whole book? I can't remember. I think I attached the first three chapters of the book. And this is what I said in the email. I could, I, uh, it was, I can almost remember it verbatim. Something like, um, if I ever meet you in person and you remember that I sent you this and you didn't want to blurb, blurb me, I can promise I will never bring it up again. We will act as if this has never happened. Uh, if you like the sample and want to see more and want to blurb it, I would be happy to send it to you. But because you know publishing is small and I knew I would someday meet her and I did, and now we're friends. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm just putting things together in my head of how things went. Uh, <laughs> then she, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking 17 different things. This is not professional to do on a podcast. But I did say to her, we, 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 you never have to respond to this email. And if we meet in person, I will never bring it up again. We can pretend this never happened. But she did. She was curious enough that she looked at the writing and she loved it. And she asked for the book and she blurbed it. So it worked. So what I'm saying is uh, you could attach an attachment, especially for a new writer with no past credentials to hang their hat on, you know, I published this book and it got this review from somebody else, which can be helpful for getting another blurb. It's the credential that somebody else has liked you before. If you're, if you're brand new breaking into publishing, um, it's hard to ask for that blurb. So why not just attach your writing? Um, the reason I did this is somebody did it for me once and I got the email and inside my heart, I coiled and I thought, oh no, no, it might not be very good probably just going to delete this email or I actually usually reject politely. Um, and I don't blurb much anymore people. Uh, although I do try when I can, but I read the selection and it was gorgeous and I loved it. And I got the whole book, loved it, blurbed it. Fantastic. So that can work. This was a long answer to that particular question. So, uh, yeah, give it a shot to almost and let us know how that goes.
Um, number two, I vaguely recall that you have some strong opinions about paid reviews. Bring on the fury. But for a debut writer who has no connections, it doesn't seem like such a bad idea to get a paid review from an established company like Publishers Weekly. Or is it a better idea to send ARCs to newspapers, blogs, and media outlets instead and hope that someone will pick it up? Also, is it a waste of time and money for a debut indie author to even approach bigger media outlets? In my area, it would mean the San Francisco Chronicle, the San Jose Mercury News, and such. Or do you have any suggestions regarding where to send my memoir in the Bay Area? Okay, there's two two big questions here. Um, Let's separate this idea of paid reviews from another idea of paid reviews. Paid reviews are bad, terrible, and technically illegal. I mean, well, they're uh, they're against the terms of service for most of the um, vendors, ebook vendors, any book vendor at all. You cannot pay someone to write you a review, period. You cannot even give them anything to write a review. It has to be unbiased. Uh, but the reason I'm saying this is you can pay for reviews. You can absolutely go buy them on Fiverr or wherever. I don't even know where else you would... I don't even think you have to go to the dark web, uh, wherever the dark web lives. You can buy reviews. It is not cool. Don't ever do it. Those are reader reviews. When we're talking about trade reviews, however, that is a little bit different. So when you're with a traditional publisher, they will send your book out to all the trade reviewer sites like Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, uh, Kirkus. There's no guarantee that they will review your book. Some of my books get the reviews from all three of those. And some of my books only get one. It depends on how many reviewers they have on staff and what the reviewers want to read, what they're drawn to. Uh, But then they'll give you an honest review. And then you can use those reviews for publicity if you like them. What you're looking for is the golden pull quote. Uh, So in a review of 250 or 300 words, maybe there's nine words. I'm not, I'm not doing math right now, but something like uh, Heron is one to watch. Don't miss this. Great. There's my pull quote. That's what I want. And I could say the Publishers Weekly said it. Um, Those are great. Those are great to have. And there is a paid version of one of these. I know you can't pay Library Journal for a paid uh, review. I am not sure you can pay Publishers Weekly. I have never heard that. And I could absolutely be wrong. So do uh, your research on that. Kirkus, however, you can buy a review. Uh, And indie writers, self-help writers use this a lot. Um, because it's a way to get a verified, established, and well-respected institution to review their book. I have I have questions around it because um, the people who read these trade magazines are book buyers, librarians, uh, and they read about a lot of books. I'm not sure if being in one of their email blasts or in their... Um, online magazines will help with sales at all. I'm in fact, I'm pretty sure it won't. The only way that a Kirkus review can help an indie writer, I believe, is if you get a good pull quote out of it, which is not guaranteed. You can pay, I have the price right here. Uh, You can pay Kirkus. How much is it? I just had it in front of me. Um, I think it's about I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I don't have it in front of me. I think it's 425, 425 US dollars if you want your review in six weeks and you can pay 500 something for an expedited two to three week review, I believe. 
and there is no guarantee they will like it. They will give you their honest review based on that reviewer's opinion on that particular day. It depends on what the reviewer ate for breakfast and how they feel about the way you use commas, right? So it's it's a crapshoot. Uh, you cannot adjust the review and you cannot delete the review. The review will exist if you are Googled um, forever. It'll be in their magazine. They're not going to, there's, there's no kill fee for it. Uh, and the, and one of the problems I have with it is that in a 300 word Kirkus review, you may only get a sentence or two that are a review of the book and the rest will be a summary, a plot summary. If it's a novel, uh, it'll talk about the memoir itself. It's a, if it's a memoir, but it'll talk about what happens in the book. So it's like a book report plus one random person's, uh, decision about how they feel about it. That said, on an Amazon page, if I see a good Kirkus review, I know that somebody at Kirkus, somebody hired by Kirkus liked the book and it does affect my buying habit. So that is all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Use your discretion on it. I think that it could be very useful. And if you get a bad review from them for some reason, I don't think anybody's really going to see it ever unless they went searching for all the reviews you ever had uh, that you didn't put on your website, which is just not going to happen. So um, you can't do that. Uh, Moving on to, I knew I was feeling chatty today. This is going to be a long, long episode. Uh, To your next part of your question, is it a better idea to send ARCs to newspapers, blogs, media outlets? Is it a waste of time and money to approach the bigger media outlets? It's absolutely not a waste of time and money. I would not send I would normally not send ARCs to anyone who has, an ARC is an advanced reader's copy. I would not send an ARC digital or print or otherwise um, to anyone who hasn't requested it, but I would absolutely for the Bay Area and California and anyone involved in um, the meditation sort of community that you're in, all of those magazines, I would draft a press release and I would make sure that I sent those out. For that, I would recommend that you buy Dana Kay's book, Your Book, Your Brand. She will walk you through how to do every single step of that. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, the law of averages means you won't get that big a response. But if you send a lot of press releases out, you will probably get some kind of response. Everyone is always looking for content and you would be content. So do that. It's free. You can do it on your own. Um, and I absolutely recommend that for all of you. Great question, Thomas. I appreciate those. All right, moving on to the next one is from, oh, this is this is great, Maria, uh, first time caller. And she sent me a question and then um, I'm drowning in email. If I owe you an email, I'm sorry, very sorry. Uh, and I didn't get to going over to Patreon and saying, I see this, thank you. Um, before she had figured it out for herself. So I'm just going to read her thought process here to you because I find it charming, delightful, and smart. Uh, she says, hi, Rachel. I received your email that contained a link to the YouTube revision revelations, and I am finding it so inspiring and so valuable. I was prompted to up my Patreon subscription. Thank you, Maria. One particular part about the premise of my book got me thinking. I have been struggling with this since I started my work in progress. And even after completing my first draft, I still wonder, what is my premise? I spent some time this morning drafting a long version. I would like to know what you think of it. Here goes. To be read while we're rolling stones, you don't always get what you want, plays in the background. Uh, I, I cannot afford the fee for that, but I will go, you don't always get what you want. Okay, there it is. Um, what is the point of my story? My story is about longing 
about wanting something, yearning for a life beyond your reach that you fear you are not good enough to deserve and not qualified enough to achieve. But so out of character, you summon the courage, you take a stab at going after this elusive life. And sure enough, you figure it out. It is within your grasp and you've got it only to realize, but you can't admit this to anyone, that you were happier back then, back before you changed yourself into a go-getter. That old longing has returned, but now what you long for is a wish to return to that earlier time, that time of innocence, the time when the sweetest feeling of all was that overpowering yearning for that something just beyond your grasp. How could you know that what you really wanted was within your grasp all along? (laughs) Did you all? Yes. Love it. Love it. Moving on to her next comment that she left uh, last night. Uh, She said, hi, Rachel, I've kind of worked this out on my own. I've boiled the premise down to every dream has a price tag. And uh, this is her blurb. Blurb used as in uh, a quote about the book. So like I said, we use it in many different ways. Uh, Going back to it. As a child, Marguerite stood on the sidewalk down below, gazing up at the mansion she dreamed of living in. Now she's the woman in the window looking out. She's worked her way inside, but in order to achieve that, she had to change. Who is happier, she wonders. The go-getter she has transformed herself into or the dreamer who stood on the outside imagining how wonderful life must be on the inside. Oh, I want to talk about a bunch of this stuff. Uh, First of all, I feel seen and validated, Maria. I have this, I always have this deep pit of longing when I look up into brightly lit windows just at dusk and I could see a little bit of something in the room. And I always wonder, is there a writer in there? And are they writing a book? And what does that feel like? And that longing that I've had to be that writer since I can remember really feels like what you were talking about, that that absolutely, um, as you said, the sweetest feeling of all was that overpowering yearning for that something just beyond your grasp. How gorgeous. So what you did here is you uh, boiled this down to a theme. Every dream has a price tag. Fantastic. Fantastic theme. And I will say that um, themes are a great thing to think about while you're writing a first draft, but they are by no means necessary. A theme that can encapsulate a whole book is rather necessary when you are revising. It can change while you are revising, but it's good to have a good grasp on it while you are revising. Every dream has a price tag is a fantastic theme. I absolutely love it. And what you did uh, in this, when you were discussing the point of your story, talking about the yearning, talking about the wanting, talking about realizing you have it, you can't admit it to anybody, but you were happier back then. Um, that is kind of nebulous, that is in the air, in the ether, talking about feelings that are not attached to anything. And you did a really great job of talking about the feeling of your book. And then when you applied it to this particular log line, basically we're talking about your log line here. I, I said blurb, but I should have said log line or uh, uh, elevator pitch. We're discussing child Marguerite and older Marguerite in this window. And that is your book. You applied the feeling to the log line and included it under the umbrella of this theme of every dream as a price tag. How gorgeous is that? Really well done. Uh, just as I don't really have, I know you weren't, you were asking a question, but then you answered it so beautifully that I don't have to. I can just admire it. Thank you for sharing it with us and letting us listen to that. I really appreciate it, Maria. Last question comes from Maggie M. Hello, Maggie M. Uh, Rachel, as a past and future women's fiction writer, what is your take on women's fiction and indie pub versus trad? 
Most professionals I know have said it is fully entrenched in trad. So for now, I'm going to query. But do you see yourself switching your women's fiction to indie pub at some point? Do you know of any true women's fiction authors who are going the indie route that I could check out? I've looked and mostly found genre fiction or women's fiction that doubles as rom-com or contemporary romance. Thank you so much. Oh, such a good question. Um, I don't know personally any women's fiction writers who are knocking it out of the park with indie publishing. I do know that I have heard of them. And I went to a couple of the bigger indie writing Facebook groups that I belong to and did a little search, but Facebook search function sucks. And I just couldn't find who I might be thinking of. Um, Women's fiction. So for the people who are wondering, what the hell is that? Women's fiction is granted a terrible term that we are stuck with. It is just part of the industry. If I'm, uh, Jonathan Franzen writes women's fiction. However, you know, it's, it's about families, uh, feelings and about people, uh, women reaching their potential, their greatest potential. Usually Jonathan Franzen fits in that. Is he called women's fiction? Oh, of course not. He's called literary fiction because he's Jonathan Franzen. Uh, women, a woman could write the exact same book and it will be classified as women, women's fiction. The great thing about that is it sells really well. There are a couple other words uh, for it. It is also known as commercial fiction uh, and upmarket, which is an interesting word that kind of straddles the divide between commercial fiction and literary fiction. Basically, what upmarket means is this is a literary novel written in the literary style that we believe will sell commercially to people who don't necessarily want to read literary fiction. So upmarket is also a good catch-all. Uh, but while women's fiction is you know, grossly sexist, I have come to accept it and embrace it for the marketing tool that it is within the industry. Your readers don't know what it means. You only know what it means if you are inside publishing. So women's fiction is generally produced by trad publishers in uh, trade paperback form, which is the nice big paperback form, which readers prefer to buy in. Sometimes it comes out as a uh, hardcover first, but n- not usually. Usually it goes straight to trade paper. Uh, it is the book that is ubiquitous at places like Costco and Target and all the places where people who are reading buy their books. And uh, it is completely still dominated by traditional publishing. Romance readers, contemporary romance, rom-com, they all know that they can buy books cheaper in the digital format online, which is why indie publishing has been so big there. That said, I am very much considering taking my women's fiction that I'm writing right now, the indie pub route. At this point, I will tell you, may have told you before, but I don't remember uh, that I'm planning on writing this book writing a book that I absolutely love and I will give it to my agent and ask her to take it out to a couple of places. And if they don't pay me what I want, which is a lot because I'm having confidence that I can sell this book. If a publisher doesn't give me a lot of money for it and talk me out of it, then I will self-publish it. And I'm really leaning toward just self-publishing it, but I still have a little bit of fear around that and ego around that. Uh, So those are kind of wrapped up together. But would I love to publish this women's fiction myself? Yes, I would. And I am, again, I'm strongly considering it. And here's why. Uh, 
self-published writers have the power to sell a book for less. Women's fiction, um, traditionally published eBooks right now are selling for between $11.99 and $13.99, which is a hell of a lot for an eBook. As an indie writer, I could price mine for $7.99 or even $9.99. I would make a lot of money on each book and I'm I'm able to undercut the traditional published marketplace in a way that they can't really do. Uh, I believe that there are already, and I just can't think of any, and there will be breakouts of women's fiction indie writers. And I kind of want to put myself in there and do that. So yeah, I think you and I are kind of going the same route, Maggie. Um, my agent's going to query my stuff. You're going to query your stuff and just see what happens and then decide what to do after that. So uh, keep me posted. I know you will. And I'm happy about that. And these were and I, ho- I hope that was helpful. I don't even know if that was helpful, Maggie, but it's uh, where my brain is and what it's doing. Thank you for these questions, everybody. I really love answering them. Um, so, and if you are considering making the jump into the Patreon patronage, please do. I would love to have you. And then you get the essays too. All right, y'all. Happy writing to you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.